Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is episode 25 in the book of John, entitled Fruitfulness Through Death, where we discuss John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? This is one of the greatest single verses you're going to find in the entire Bible, describing the way by which the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, advances. Hmm. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Hmm. And so Jesus is talking first and foremost clearly about himself, but secondly about everyone that followed him who learns to die to himself or herself and to share the gospel with a co-worker, an unsaved relative, an unsaved neighbor, or an unreached people group to be willing to die to him or herself so that the gospel can advance. This is a timeless principle by which the kingdom goes to the ends of the earth. So it's really quite a remarkable little parable of Jesus. So we're going to see that and and other things besides. Well, it is a rich passage that we have the chance to look at today. I'm going to read John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36, so we can get our bearings uh, in this passage. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Andy, what's the chronological relationship between these verses and what we looked at last time in verses 12 through 19? Well, Jesus is there at the feast, so it's the feast of Passover, and um, so the the anointing has happened. He's done the triumphal entry, and you know you, it's hard to put that last week together. But you know the synoptics and John's gospel, like half of each of those gospels, is just the last week of Jesus's life. That's how complex mm. and packed that that last week was. So somewhere in there, 
there are there's this encounter that Jesus has concerning um, the Greeks that want to come see Jesus, mm-hmm. and they make a request. They get they get some access and try to get near Jesus. So, you know, it's just a, a again a seething cauldron of of mi- perhaps even a couple of million people uh, descending on Jerusalem, coming or ascending. It's always up, uh, but going to Jerusalem for the feast, and so all of this activity is coming to a head. Well, you mentioned in these first three verses, we're told that among those who went up to worship at the Mm -hmm. feast were some Greeks. Mm -hmm. Who are these Greeks? What are they seeking? And how does Philip respond to them? Well, the word Greeks would mean non-Jews. So, um, you know, uh, Jews and Greeks uh, be, you know, uh, just non-Jews. But they're here. So I think the idea is they're not Romans. So I think the idea is that they're Gentiles. They're non-Jews who have enough interest in the Jewish God, enough interest in the Jewish religion to make the pilgrimage for the major feast of Passover. They want to be there. They are uh, God-fearers, sometimes they're called. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're proselytes, sometimes. And so we don't know anything about them. And actually, after this encounter, we never hear about them again. So um, uh, they're there, and perhaps they've heard about Jesus. They want to know more. They're, They're into the Jewish religion. This seems to be the next level, the next stage of the Jewish religion. They're interested, so they try to get access to Jesus. And Jesus isn't easy to see Mm. because there are tons of people around him all the time. So they come to Philip, and uh, they make a request to see Jesus. And Philip went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip go tell Jesus. Hmm. What's the connection between the request of these Greeks and Jesus' statement that the hour has come for the Mm -hmm. Son of Man to be glorified? Well, Jesus means it's time for him to die. And you read in the context, he said the time has come. So throughout the the gospel, it says his hour had not had had not had had not yet come, or he says to his mother, uh, Mary, my time has not yet come, my hour is not here, but now he's using different language. The hour has come. Mm. And he's gonna pray that in John 17, Father, the time has come. So he it's time for him to die. So that's a good question you ask. What is it about the Greeks' request to see Jesus that triggers this thought? Mm. And I think it's, perhaps it's John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, in the world, should not perish but have eternal life. He's already said, I have other sheep of the sheep pen that are not of the sheep pen. They must, I must go and bring them also. There'll be one flock, one shepherd, John 10. And so they are Gentiles, I think. It's a good interpretation of that. So now here are some Greeks who have a very strong interest in knowing about Jesus. Hmm. And so it just, perhaps it just triggers his mind on thinking what the price tag is gonna be for their salvation. He's Hmm. gonna have to give his life. He's gonna have to die so that he can spend eternity with these Greeks. It's not that important that they bump into each other and have some face-to-face time right here and now. What's important is that they would spend eternity looking at his glory and he's gotta go shed his blood so that that can happen. Well, Andy, you mentioned earlier in our time this parable that Jesus goes on to use in verse 24. What insights does this give us into the function and the growth of the kingdom of God? It's incredible. I've been blown away for years by this one statement, John 12, um, 24. uh, Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And I, I think what I get out of that is there is a basic principle of dying and rising again that is essential to the spread of the gospel. It's a parable, like many, if not most of Jesus' parables, it's agricultural in nature. He uses what the Father has woven into 
creation, mm. specifically into life. And the idea here is the seed has to die to bring forth the next generation of fruit. And so you look at the seed and it's got this hard external shell and there's that sense of, of being selfish and being wrapped up in ourselves um, and, and that, that cracks open you know, when a seed is put into the moist soil, the moisture gets in there and it cracks open. And out comes this green shoot. It's the beginning of a new plant. And so Jesus calls on us to die. He calls on us to get up out of ourselves and be willing to die. And he himself is the central great example of this. If he refuses to die, that no fruit will come. So in order for there to be an advancement, a multiplication of the kingdom, he has to die. But so do we. And so the idea here is that the, the kingdom of Jesus Christ spreads by self-denying servants who are willing to die. They're willing to say no to themselves. For all the missionaries, Adoniram Judson and Ann Judson who mm -hmm. went to um, Burma, it would have been much more convenient and comfortable for him to take up his father's offer in Massachusetts of a pastorate. He, had, he was ordained and trained and prepared, but no, he wanted to go as a missionary. And so he was willing to die to himself. And, and there were times in that mission it absolutely felt like dying. He actually wanted to die at mm. one point. It was so low. He was so discouraged um, that he dug his own grave and stared into it. There was a sense of dying. But look at all the life that came. How many Burmese are up in heaven now because he made that decision? And Nancy, his wife, uh, Judson, made that decision to go and die. And so it is. Again, we need to think about the, the miscarriage of Christian mission and understanding of the kingdom that were the Crusades. Mm -hmm. They felt what we have to do is go and kill like, a, like an army uh, for the Lord. God wills it, they would say, and they'd go kill infidels. They'd kill Muslims, Saracens. They'd kill Jews. It's like, no, no, no. The kingdom of heaven does not advance by killing. Mm -hmm. It advances by dying. Mm. And Jesus seems to understand that there'll be some misconception amongst his listeners and amongst mm -hmm. us today about what this looks like, how this is practically lived out. Yeah. What does it mean to love your life and conversely mm -hmm. to hate your life in this world? Yeah, it's a powerful statement. You know, this is, he also says the same thing about denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following him. It's the same teaching. If you love your life in this world, it means you're holding on to things, you're holding on to the comfortable life, holding on to the pleasure, holding on to the ease. Um, and if you love it, he says, you'll lose it. All right. So ultimately to love your life means you're not going to follow Christ. You're not going to believe in him. You're going, that's counter to sensual pleasure. It's counter, counter to everything the world preaches. To hate your life in this world is a relative term. He wants us to love our lives and to, you know, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. Mm. Peter tells us, quoting the Psalms. So we're supposed to love our lives. It means relatively, like hating your own mother or father or your own kids or whatever. So don't cherish and hold on to your life in this world or you'll lose it. But if you're willing to lay it down, you'll find it. And so this is just a principle. I think we also see here a principle by which we will be fruitful in this world and honored and rewarded in the next. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important to talk about. For sure. What does Jesus mean here then when he says, whoever serves me must follow me? Mm -hmm. You got to imitate me. You got to do 
um, what I do. You've got to lay down your life. Mm. Um, the point to which you lay down your life. I think about my my life, and I, and as I read these words, I'm so convicted. It's like, when have I laid down my life? When have I hated my life? I love my life in this world way too much, and I think we all feel this. But here's the thing: despite those feelings, if you're a genuine Christian, the Lord consistently works self-denial in you. There, there are times that you deny yourself and keep praying. There are times you deny yourself and go witnessing. Share the gospel with a, an unsaved relative. Share the gospel with an unsaved coworker. I've done these things many times, but only by the grace of God in me. I remember specifically one witnessing opportunity with a guy named Ron Ducker. He was a non-Christian guy. He was the chairman of the, uh, I mean, sorry, the foreman, not chairman, foreman of the assembly line at the factory that I worked at. I was an engineer. He was a very gruff older man, very intimidating, all business. And I felt led by the Lord to share the gospel with him. And it was it was lunch break. It was 12.05. I don't think I've ever been so nervous about a gospel encounter. And I was so afraid. And I had a friend, a Christian friend that worked there, pray for me. And he said, you're going to share with him? It's like, I'm going to pray for you. I said, please. <laughs> please you know? do, yeah. But I actually laid down a fleece. And I said, Lord, if he's at his workbench, I'll share the gospel with him. But if he's not there, it was lunch break. Or if there's anyone else with him, I won't do it. Well, I went around the corner and looked, and there he was at his workbench alone eating a sandwich. I'm like, Ugh, my heart sank. So it's on. <laughs> the very thing you asked for, and you're like, okay, well, that's... I don't, yeah, mm. it felt like dying. And I, I walked up. I was so awkward and so nervous. And I got his attention. I said, Ron, he said, yeah. Like, what do you want? You know, he's on break. He doesn't want to be interacting with an engineer at that point. And I, I gave him a four spiritual laws from the Campus Crusade for Christ. I said, you know, I, you know, would you read this? I think you need Jesus. Something like that. He said it very awkwardly and walked away. I, I never had another spiritual conversation with him. I have no idea what happened. It was poorly done. All I'm telling you is it felt like dying. Mm. It felt like to go there and do mm. it is to die. I'll say this, though. On Judgment Day, I will wish there had been far more such occasions in my life when I died to myself for the benefit of another person. Because Jesus says, where I am, my servant must be. you got to go where I am. And I'm hated. I'm despised. I'm rejected. I'm outside the gate. I'm not in where everybody loves me. I'm outside where I was rejected. And if you're going to serve me, you need to follow me and be where I am. But then here's the reward. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now that's a, it's staggering, mm. that statement. The father honoring me or you, Wes. We're talking about almighty God honoring you. You know, you, you can't help but think, what does that mean? Honor your father and mother, what does that mean? I, I've done word studies with my kids on honor. Like you remember in, in, in the book of Esther, what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Well, I don't know that I want to be up on the king's horse wearing a king's <laughs> robe and being led around by one of the king's prime ministers saying, this is what is done for the man whom the king delights to honor. But it means to make a big deal about the person. Hmm. And God's going to do that for us. He's going to say, have you considered my servant so-and-so? Let's look at what this woman did in caring for the sick and dying in Calcutta mm -hmm. or what this man did for in his ministry. Let's honor him. That's incredible, but it's in proportion to self-denying mm. sacrifice, your willingness to lay down your life. And what an important thing for us to see those warnings against loving our life too much yeah. in this world, but also that promise of reward to mm -hmm. remind us of 
how much better it is Amen. to be willing to lay down our lives for yeah. the advance of the gospel and the spread. By the way, this is an important, uh, more evidence of what rewards are, what mm. they really are. The reward is not so much a crown or a medal hung around your neck. It, there, I think there are actual physical emblems. I don't deny that. But what the, the, the kernel of the nut is the Father praising you, mm. the Father honoring you. He's not worshiping you. He knows what you are. So do you. But what it is is it's this esteem and celebration of the thing that you did. Hmm. And that's pretty cool. Well, as we turn the corner here in verse 27, mm -hmm. why was Jesus' heart troubled? Wow. Uh, this is basically John's version of Gethsemane. He doesn't, he, he doesn't have an anguish in Gethsemane. Okay, um, we don't have that. You have to put all that together. So Gethsemane happened, but John doesn't record it. And John wrote many years later, I believe, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it was hard to die. The price for, for these Greeks, the price tag for their salvation was Jesus' blood shed on the cross mm -hmm. under the wrath of God. And he thinks about that here. And he says, now my heart is troubled. I'm distressed by this. And what shall I say? I think there's different ways to punctuate this and there are different translations, but I think the NIV 84 does a good job here. Uh, I think he, it, it hits it properly. It says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? And you could ask it that way. Is that what I should say? No. Mm -hmm. He said, no, no, I'm not gonna say that. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Instead, Father, glorify your name. So I think that's a good way to walk through this. So what is Jesus thinking about? He's thinking about his own death and it's going to be very, very hard for him to die under the wrath of God. And I think faced with our own death, we would we would very much, I think, pray for our deliverance. But mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't do that here. Mm -hmm. He prays that the Father would glorify yeah. his name. Yeah, and I think that just meshes so well with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which say, um, if it is possible that this cup be taken from me, mm -hmm. yet not my will but yours be done. I'm not saying this happened in Gethsemane, but this is the same mentality. This is ruminating on this. Mm -hmm. He's thinking about his own death. He knows he's going to die. Mm -hmm. He says it to Mary when she anoints him. She's prepared me for burial. He's thinking about his death constantly. And so he's saying, what shall I say? Father, deliver me from this hour? Save me from this hour? Mm -hmm. By the way, that's the consummation of Satan's temptation as well. I'm not saying Satan was tempting him here now. I think Satan is definitely pushing to have Jesus killed at this point. But when he tempts him at the beginning of his ministry, his public ministry, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Or, you know, his, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that nothing will happen to you. It's like safety, protection. Mm. Father, should I pray? Get me out of this. I don't want to die. Protect me. Save me. No, I mean, this is why I was born. Why would I do that? Mm. Why would I enter the world, born of the Virgin Mary, and live this difficult life up to this penultimate moment and say, wait a minute, I'm out. I don't mm. want to die. It doesn't make any sense. No, I'm not going to say, Father, save me from this hour. Instead, I'm going to cry out, Father, glorify your name. Now, I would say, if there's any cry that should come from our hearts, that's it. Jesus perfectly exemplified it. Not my will, but yours be done. That's one level. But ultimately, the reason why is I want your name to be glorified. Mm. And what happens after Jesus prays that in this passage? And what was the purpose? <laughs> the Father answered him. <laughs> The Father spoke. This is, as far as I can tell, the only recorded conversation, audible conversation within the Trinity. 
in the in the Gospels or anywhere in the Bible. You've got implied conversations. Um, the Father says to the Son, you know, in in Hebrews one, uh, "Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever." That's the Father speaking to the Son. So you get intertrinitarian conversations. A lot of them in the Book of Isaiah. You know, um, here is my servant whom I delight. There's a lot of that father speaking about the son. Mm -hmm. But here you get an audible conversation between the persons of the Trinity. It's the only one. So it's utterly unique. And it is, again, evidence and proof of the separate persons of the Trinity. That modalism is false. Mm -hmm. That there is one God who appears sometimes as father and sometimes as son and sometimes as spirit. That's, that's a heresy. There are... I don't know how to say it other than separate persons of the Trinity who are perfectly one. And so he cries out, Father, glorify your name, which is all the Father wants to ever happen, is that his own name would be glorified. And he answers his son, saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Hmm. So we're absolutely on the same page. I am all about my own honor and my own glory, hmm. which is mind-blowing, but the Father is. The Father is all about his own glory. That's yeah. why he made the world. That's why he redeems the elect. That's why he does everything, that his own glory may be put on display. So, son, you and I are on the perfectly the same page. All that matters is that my name be glorified. Hmm. And at the risk of sounding like a broken <clears throat> record, the crowd has varied responses here once again. Some, <laughs> some say it thundered. Some say uh, that an angel has spoken. Yeah. What is the purpose here? What, what's the benefit for those who experience this moment yeah. uh, as Jesus has just prayed this what does that what does that do for them in that moment well I don't know how much how they heard it if they heard it clearly I know that the disciples heard it but perhaps they had to circle back later with the Holy Spirit saying that's really what was said it, it was just a moment and then it mm -hmm. passed and so you see really how our conversion has to be on scripture if you've been standing there at the moment that was a miracle and then it's over and you really can't go back. It's like, the, it's like the Jordan River at flood stage and it separates out and they cross on dry ground. And then when everybody's across, they turn back and it goes back like it was. It's like it never happened almost. So they're, they're trying to figure out, ah, maybe it thundered, no, an angel's, it's like they're trying to figure it out. They're, they're clueless, mm. it's almost like they're clueless. Yeah. Uh, how is the death of Jesus the time for the judgment of the world. Mm -hmm. so we continue to see what's coming, uh, anticipating mm -hmm. Jesus' crucifixion. How is Jesus' death the time for the judgment of the world? Well, the only reason, the reason that Jesus is dying is because of the sins of the world. Jesus is the propitiation, John tells us in 1 John 2, mm. and uh, for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the world. So there are world sinners, including these Greeks that Jesus, that began the whole conversation here, the Greeks who wanted to see Jesus at the beginning of this encounter, um, whose sins are necessitating his, his death. Mm. And it's time for him to die for the sins of the world. So there is judgment coming for the elect of the world, but the judgment's coming on him as the substitute, as the propitiation. But Jesus also is speaking about the ruler or the prince of this world, who is Satan, and the judgment is gonna be on his kingdom. His kingdom's gonna get judged. It's going, he's going to end up losing. Satan will lose at the cross, lose big, mm. lose for all eternity at the cross. He's going to lose us. You know, the elect, we are going to be plundered from mm -hmm. him. And so Hebrews 2 tells us 
that Jesus, by his death, destroyed him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. So this is the beginning of the destruction, the overt destruction of Satan's kingdom, called here the prince of this world. He must be driven out. And we've also talked about this before. before. It wasn't a quick kill. He didn't mm. want, God did not want a quick kill. Satan, uh, Jesus did not want a quick kill. It's a long, slow, torturous death for Satan's kingdom here. Mm. 2,000 years of dying. And so it's so beautiful what happened. Mm. And what does Jesus mean when he says in verses 32 and 33, when I am lifted up from the earth? Mm -hmm. Or again, when he says, I will draw all people to myself. What do yeah. these two phrases teach us here? Well, I hate to say it uh, to you as a worship leader, but it doesn't mean lift him up in praise and worship. <laughs> as you know, if, if we lift him up, he'll draw all people to him. That's not it. We should lift him up in praise and, and worship, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's clearly, mm. the text says, right talking about crucifixion. He is dying a lifted up death, and that is the death of crucifixion, a clear prediction, not cast down like in stoning, where you're thrown off a cliff and rocks are thrown on top of you. That's casting down. This is, this is he's, he's being lifted up and clearly uh, predicting that he would die by crucifixion. And so in so doing, in doing this, in his death by crucifixion, he will sovereignly draw the elect to himself by this death. Hmm. The crowd at the end makes this statement about the Christ remaining forever. Uh, were they right in this? And how does Jesus uh, kind of bring this to a close or to yeah. a head as, as we... Well, they are right. Uh, they're actually even underestimating the glory of his kingdom but just not yet. And they just don't understand the, the difference between the first and second coming. When Christ comes the second time, will he not abide or remain forever? Oh yes, he will. Mm. No matter what your eschatology is, even if you believe in a literal, physical, thousand year reign of Christ on earth, or you don't and you're amillennial and believe will go right into the eternal state. Either way, when Christ comes, he's here to stay. Mm. So he will remain forever, but they're not understanding the need for the death first. And so they can't, harmonize this with they they believe in a king who will reign gloriously on david's throne isaiah says it he will reign on david's throne from that time on and forever that's what it says but first there is a price that has to be paid and so he's saying look you've got a little time now walk in the light while the light is shining in other words the light here i think refers to the evidence and the truth surrounding him that would pull them out of Satan's dark kingdom into his marvelous spiritual light. So if you, you have a super clear witness going on right now, you better make use of it because pretty soon that light's gonna go out. Hmm. Well, Andy, any final thoughts for us as we reach the end of this passage here? Well, yeah, I think we go back to John 12, 24 and, and the verses that follow. It's so hard. I think it is the central hardest thing to do in the Christian life is to die to yourself. It's, it's relentless, the commitment we have to self-preservation, to self-pleasuring, mm. to, to selfishness. It is just everything we, we are. It's woven into, into everything in our flesh. And to learn how to die, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 saying, I just want to learn how to die, to become like him in his death. And so for me, probably one of the hardest things in the daily Christian life is to learn how to die so that fruit can come. So to die to myself and pray more, die to myself and witness more, die to myself and risk more. Mm. And, and to not be afraid because in the end, 
like Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What are we gonna what are we going to gain that we cannot lose? The Father will honor us forever. It's not just one honoring and then you're done. He will forever honor whoever serves Jesus. So mm. for me it's just let's do that. Let's make the most of the time we have to serve him, to die to ourselves for his glory. Mm. Well, this has been episode twenty five in the book of John. Please join us next time for episode 26, entitled, Lord, Who Has Believed Our Report? Where we'll discuss John chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.